Welcome to The Playlist Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist. And I have to say, over the past year, I've had some pretty fun interviews that I've been lucky enough to share with you guys, but the one I'm about to play might just be my favorite yet. For this episode, I got the chance to fulfill my childhood dream and speak with actor Bill Allen about the 35th anniversary of the 80s BMX classic Rad. No lie, Rad is one of my favorite films of all time, and anyone who speaks to me for more than five minutes will tell you that inevitably I'll bring up Rad in conversation way more than anyone ever should. I'm sure most people listening aren't super familiar with Rad, so I'll do my best here to give a quick history before we get to the interview. Rad came out in 1986 and tells the story of a young crew Jones who risks it all to fulfill his dream of becoming a professional BMX rider by competing in a massive event called Helltrack. When it was first released, it was far from a hit. It wasn't until the film came to VHS and was available to rent in video stores that it became a cult classic, though Bill Allen would disagree with it being called a cult classic. And as the years went by, a very passionate fan base grew. But the big problem with fans of Rad is that there was never really an official home video release that was widely available. So many fans like myself kept bootleg copies and watched it over and over again that way. However, last year, Vinegar Syndrome released a 4K restoration of the film, and this year, in honor of its 35th anniversary, Rad's getting a massive one-night-only release around the country as part of a Fathom event on October 14th. And of course, if you're listening to this and you're a fan of Rad, you definitely should have your ticket if you don't already. So if it's not obvious by now, I'm a complete nerd for Rad, and it was a true honor for me to speak with Bill Allen, who stars as Crew Jones in the film. In the interview, we talk about the history of the movie and the incredible popularity that has grown into a tsunami, as he puts it, over the decades. But before I get to the interview, I got to tell you, the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, The Fourth Wall, Deep Focus, and more. And if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, anywhere else you find your favorite shows. So listeners, without any further ado, it is my pleasure to share my interview with Bill Allen, star of Rad. And remember, buy your tickets to the Fathom event which is playing at theaters nationwide on October 14th. Enjoy. I'd like to start basically with, with fantastic fest, which uh, just happened, right? Like the, the, the screening of rad in 4k 35, all this, you know, it, it, I want to know you you've seen rad out on the big screen. You've recently, they've done outdoor screenings, but I'm curious what this felt like at Fantastic Fest with this crowd 35 years later. You know, it opened, the whole evening opened with the 512 wheelie crew coming out and doing a whole shoot with us. So the street was filled with guys on bicycles wearing rad jerseys like that one and his black background. It was really cool. So that, was the most impressive part of the evening to me to see the real uh the real hardcore guys out there on their bikes who are out there keeping it real and uh showing the movie to their kids i saw several people with tattoos like yourself so yeah man the the fans are just they're they're what makes it worth it for me they're just so sweet and so effusive and For the ones who love it, like yourself, it, it, it holds a very special place for them. Yeah, it really does. It really does. And, and I'd like to uh, to go back in time a little bit to 1986. So this movie, you're making this movie, you're you're the star, you're Crew Jones, and it kind of just came and went in 1986, the film. And uh, it's a it's a coming of age film like other 80s era films. But uh, word of mouth kind of carried it through the video rental realm and it became this cult hit. But I'm curious when you're when 
you're making this movie and you're obviously excited for it to be seen by the biggest audience. When did you think like, oh, maybe this isn't going to get that release that I was hoping for? Well, opening week kind of tells the tale as to whether it's going to be a hit movie or not, you know, uh, so to speak. But uh, I, I don't think it was marketed either well or to the right audience. Obviously, it has an audience. As soon as it made it out on VHS, it, it exploded and was in the top 20 for years. So uh, it found its audience. And I think the kind of uh, narrative is this was this little cult film. Well, it was in every mom and pop and blockbuster on the end cap uh, for years. And the people who rented it would watch it not only themselves, but their entire neighborhood would come over and watch it multiple times. So when it came out on iTunes, for instance, a year or so ago and all these different platforms, it immediately shot to the top of the charts. There's four different uh, DVD releases right now that I've counted. So I used to check in just, you know, randomly on where it was on the iTunes charts when it first came out. And it was consistently beating tiny films like, I don't know, E.T. and Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark and Chinatown and, 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 and. Uh, so that to me, at that point, I went, well, it's not really a cult film, is it? It's actually a mainstream film that hasn't gotten the play of, of the other films, let's say a, a Goonies or something of that time period. It doesn't have that kind of uh, high profile nature to it, be, uh, but certainly it has a wide audience. And so I guess that's the surprising thing to, to rad fans is, oh, there's a lot of people out there just like me who grew up on this movie. And, and a lot of them got into the sport either as professionals or owning bike shops or just racing BMX on the weekends, all these things. And of course they're just the movie fans also. Yeah. So I, I, you, you said the opening weekend kind of tells the tale and, and you're somebody who's familiar with the business. So you know that yeah, that is like the make or break weekend. So was there part of you when, when you saw that it wasn't uh, marketed well or anything that kind of that kind of just looked at it and kind of resented it? Like, oh, this could be so much bigger, but, you know, it's being held back. No, there was no resentment involved. It's just uh, it was disheartening. You know, you, you want something to explode on the uh, uh, when you hope it does. But. I'm an actor. I, I'm used to taking it on the chin, so to speak. You know, so it, for me, it was on to the next thing. I was a working actor and continue to be. So uh, in making a movie, um, that's, that's, the, that's the meat and potatoes for a performer. What happens afterwards? Who knows? Who has any control over it? So for me, it was about the experience of making the movie, which couldn't have gone better. And uh, I, I still have fond memories to this day. And uh, yeah, whatever happens to a project afterwards is, is kind of out of your hands, it, largely. And uh, as a performer, you don't, yeah, you just don't connect with the opening box office week as much as you do with when you watch a movie. Well, what, what did I have for breakfast that morning when I <laughs> shot the, that scene? Because that's what you're thinking about when you're, when you're watching it. Because again, it's all about the experience of creating the thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I was disappointed that it didn't do better, but it, it certainly gained traction more than I could have expected. And I expected a lot. When I walked onto the set of this movie, 
people often ask me, did you expect it to really resonate and be around all these years later? That I couldn't have predicted, but I knew it was a game changer. I knew people had never seen a guy do a backflip on a bike before or uh, the hell track drop in and the greatest freestyle uh, guys and, and, and dirt guys in the world were there, you know, at least half of them. So I, I felt that it was going to be a game changer and, and it was really going to make its mark. So, so it did just took a little longer than I expected. Right. So the, like I said, the film, you know, in 1986, it gets released and then it becomes that, that, uh, the VHS hit now fast forward to 2021, 35 years later, and it's arguably more popular than ever before. And I'm curious at what point did you realize, Oh, this is not slowing down at all. (laughs) Oh, well, I would, I don't think there's an argument there. I think it is wildly more popular than ever, just by virtue of the fact that it's available now on all these different platforms and, and people are able to share it and find it and, and rediscover it. So uh, I'm sorry, what was the question? I was uh, just going to say, when did you realize that this was, was turning into oh, so, kind of so, a yeah, monster? Yeah I, guess, yeah, I guess the 25th anniversary uh, and there was a screening in Westwood right about the same time, 10 years ago. How was around for that? And, and uh, so that's the first time I started viewing it with live audiences and seeing there was still this this deep love for it and then I started doing events soon after that the Nora Cup and the X Games and I'm like wait a second dude this isn't some small little thing this is this is an actual phenomenon and and it's been ignored for a long time but uh I, I think the, the re-release, the DVDs, and uh, I'm told uh, Vinegar Syndrome did the ori- or initial DVD release, 4K release, and then it went to Wood Creek and then a couple of others. And so I'm told that it changed the way studios release their DVDs now. They look for a little boutique uh, distribution channels and, and make it a special thing, something that the fans can really you know, collect and get excited about. So Rad did that. And so again, I think it's a testament to the fact that it's not some little phenomenon, that, it, that it's a global deal and uh, you're, you're missing out either on the business side as a movie maker or in the bicycle industry or as a fan if, if you don't think that this is, if, if, if you just miss the boat entirely. You know, it's a very special phenomenon. And the people that I, I meet, I was just uh, at FanFest in Austin. Is it FanFest? Fantastic it's Fest. Fantastic Fest. Yeah, it was just uh, people came in from as far as Minnesota and, and drove for hours to get there. So I've seen that repeatedly. And it's it's it knocks me out every time. It is not the treatment <clears throat> I get at home. You know, it's <laughs> like clean the litter box take out the trash, you know, and, and like it. So I just, I you can't just the, flex and say, I'm crew Jones. I don't have doesn't to work. This. Yeah. I tried yeah. it. It does not fly at all. So <laughs> and, and that's fine. So it makes me want to get out on the road and, and, and meet fans and, and, and be a part of the whole scene that it's helped create. You know, last year we were supposed to be at South by Southwest yeah. before the plague hit. And that, that was a disappointment, you know, uh, because that's, I was going to fly down there. Like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was planned to be in a a big, big deal. So, 
the big deal happened with the release. We, we saw the love on iTunes and, and these uh, DVD sales that, that made, you know, it was a phenomenon in people's homes, if not in movie theaters. Yeah, so I, just to give you a little history for, for my love of this movie, I have vivid memories of my childhood watching Rad on a VHS that my family member, uh, shout out to my Uncle Mark, recorded when it was on TV. And I wore that thing out. Like every time I went and visited, I watched Rad and I loved it. But to me, so it's, there's this like sentimental factor. But what do you think is kind of the reason why this movie has resonated with so many people for so long? Well, the short answer is the bikes. I, I would say that makes it unique. Uh, it was directed by the great Hal Needham, the great stunt director of the day. Uh, so much credit uh, goes to him. And because he, he hired uh, a really good cast to surround me, you know, uh, Talia Shire, who'd been in three best pictures, you know, <laughs> Godfather Matthew and, and, and Rocky, and uh, of course, Jack Weston and, and Ray Walston. So that I think made it, uh, gave it more weight and, and gave the acting scenes, the actors took it seriously. And this is where I came in. That's why I was hired. Certainly not for my bike skills, <laughs> but that's what makes it, I think, watchable in, in repeat viewings is that how wisely gave me uh, the strongest supporting cast available, really. I mean, uh, I recently found out that Charles Durning had signed on to play the Jack Weston role, but because of scheduling, couldn't make it. So that's the caliber of actor he was looking at and, and courting and, and, and finding for these roles. So that, that for me, makes it uh, watchable, uh, repeated viewings. So uh, you mentioned this, this great cast and, and it is, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. And, and I would say uh, you were a relative unknown compared to the, the Talia Shires of the world. So uh, what was that like for you? Was it a, was it an arduous audition process? Obviously, I think you've gone on record saying you don't have the bike skills, like you said. So, you know, what was that like getting this movie? Yeah, there was nothing arduous about it. I had done a TV show called Hill Street Blues that was very popular at the time and Hal had seen it a couple of times. So he brought me in on the strength of that performance. And so I didn't have to meet a casting director. Uh, I, I just sat on a mongoose bike and read a couple of scenes for Hal and Robert and uh, Sam, the writer. So uh, that was it. Uh, six weeks later, I was in Calgary. Um, Hal's just one of those guys who knows what he wants. He doesn't he doesn't go shopping. He sees what he wants, likes it. And there were other people up for that role. And uh, we just got along as, as Southern gentlemen, you know? So acting uh, skills was a plus, but being able to, to hang on the set with this guy 12 hours a day, you know, and not hate each other. I think that was key in me getting the role. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, I want to talk about a couple scenes in the movie, um, a couple iconic scenes. The first is the BMX dance scene. Uh, this, I think, is probably the scene that many people, especially if they've only seen it once or twice, will remember um, because it's it's a bit uh, bonkers to to put it lately. It's you guys are 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 doing this, these great like stunts on BMX in the middle of a what is kind of a de facto prom setting. Um, so I'm curious. 
also send me an angels playing, which is fantastic. But what was that like in the script? And when you're making it or when you're reading that script where you're like, wait, they're going to dance on bikes, man, it's been, you know, decades since I read the script for the first time. So I don't really remember my initial reaction. It just seemed in line with the kind of movies that were being made at the time. Yeah. But footloose or whatever. I mean, of course, in the script, you couldn't glean how they were going to shoot it or the costumes or the. The, the sequins, right? The rhinestones. <laughs> yeah. The, the lights come on and now I've got rhinestones all over my clothes and we're doing uh, these pas de deux. Is that what you call it? The, the, these twisting uh, 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 cherry pickers, literally impossible. These tricks cannot happen in nature. So I, I've come to believe, and I should ask Sam about this. Was it a fantasy sequence? completely this is what i've come to believe that the uh crew was in the men's room you know taking care of <laughs> or whatever and he's got this vision in his head of what could happen and maybe that's why he freaked out at the end and, and left because he had this whole fantasy cooked up and then the lights came on and, and everybody's staring at him i don't know it's just it's the only part of the movie that's removed from reality and and how was very adamant about making the stunts real and believable and doable you know not defying the laws of physics and that sequence actually does not to mention the the stunt double work is it's it's pretty comical i mean uh a lot of the wig budget in that particular scene was pretty off the charts but they did a great job, you know, and uh, it's it's probably the most iconic part of the movie, you know. Yeah, I think Lori Laughlin gained about 20 pounds in the making of that. Uh... That That's right. <laughs> and every time her back was to the camera, she got some weird curls in her hair. Yeah. 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 But but you're right, though, the, the fantasy aspect of it, you kind of just it, it, it. And there's that kind of that Barbara Walters haze over it. It, it is very fantastical, which is which is great. It, and the music yeah, they, is perfect. Yeah, I remember they shot what they call a star filter. So the lights have that star quality. So yeah, it was just, it was like roller, disco, boogie, those kind of movies that just seem so goofy now. We're like, hey, this is kind of cool. And uh, I guess the the thing that people don't realize is uh, the track that we were playing as they're filming was White Wedding, which was oh, wow. a big hit big hit at the time and i'm sure they couldn't afford white wedding so they got send me an angel and and you can't think of that sequence without send me an angel so i think i think it worked out yeah so when you're filming that um i i don't know how much of that is actually you i know obviously the close-ups are you but you'd mentioned again but you're not a professional bmxer so um what was that like kind of filming it were you more of an observer like was it and did you think like wow this is kind of a strange well to start off we'd had a softball game the pre like sunday before the week we shot that uh sequence and i got a, a really bad case of food poisoning oh my god so i was deathly ill during the whole uh bicycle boogie sequence but uh they had us up on um like dollies where the the bikes were fixed and uh you know the stuff i had to do was very easy uh but but Martin, who was my main stunt double during that sequence, did an amazing job. All the stuff on the uh, balance beam and, uh, you know, the cherry picker stuff that that 
tricks that he actually invented, some on the spot. Uh, again, intercut with me in close up, and and then just the stunt double stuff. Take my word for it. You see it in 4K on the big screen. You go, well, there's Bill, there's Martin, <laughs> there's yeah, Pat yeah. Romano in a wig. It's 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 pretty, especially for me. Maybe not if you you weren't there. I don't know. Uh, um, I got asked, you know, recently, did I do all my own stunts? And of course, I said yes. But <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 amazing to me that people still buy the illusion outright and think that I got the job because I was a bicycle in you know professional instead of an actor yeah so another scene that i think it's brought up quite a bit amongst fans is the uh the infamous ass sliding scene um and and i think it, it's it's great for what it is again it's this is a coming of age movie this is a an 80s movie this those types of you know date montage scenes are, are all over the place in that era but the ass sliding aspect of it is just kind of silly in because of what it's called. So I'm curious, uh, when you're filming that, did you ever have reservations about calling it ass sliding? Or you like, well, could we call it something else? No, I mean, I had zero to do with that decision. I mean, let's break it down a little bit. Crew takes uh, Christian on their first date to an open sewer. I mean, <laughs> this guy has got game all day long and she jumps in with him. I mean, this is just this is just off the charts insanity. But in the original script, it was a waterfall. OK, but of course, there wasn't anything natural that they could come up with. And it just didn't work on a practical level. So they built that little flew into the river which was just melted snow i mean it was just not freezing water that they were pumping in but as soon as we hit that that river it was just frigid there's no other way to put it so uh, hal had martin Averio, one of my doubles go down and make sure it was safe and he said when you come out of the water martin look happy like this is a fun thing you know <laughs> he did he pulled it off so we thought well this couldn't be too bad it was it was god awful cold. So he shot it from a couple of angles, and that's how it how how you see it in the movie. And uh, they just overcranked the camera so we look in slow motion coming coming down. But uh, yeah, it's always fun getting you know getting close <laughs> with Lori and and sliding down that thing. I'm glad we didn't have to do it twice. Yeah, so it's a one and done thing, right? Like after that first time, you're like, we can't do this again. Yeah, and. See, Hal had just gotten off all these movies with multiple megastars, you know, Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and Shirley MacLaine. And, and, and so he was used to dealing with stars with big egos. That was not me. I was so happy to be making money on a movie set. So he wanted to get it uh, as comfortable as he could for the actors. I would have gone for take two or take three or take 12. You know, I, I was in it to win it. But uh he his job for decades and, and continuing in to his directing directing career was to protect the actors, you know, and, and to be an expert in doubling them and, and making sure that they're alive for the next scene. You know, it's a practical thing, too. Yeah. So um, I've just gone over a couple scenes that I enjoy. I'm curious, is there a scene from the movie that you think maybe gets overlooked or, or something that about that film that you fondly remember that, that maybe fans don't really pay attention to? Well, again, I came at it from the acting angle and the thing that I'm most proud of, I, I guess, is that scene between Tally and I where she comes to the qualifying track and, 
and we have that big conversation. That scene is all looped ADR. We had to go back and, and loop that conversation, uh, confrontation in the studio. And so you not only have to match the lips, but you have to match the intensity of the scene. You have to recreate that scene in your head with the actor. She was nowhere, you know, I was in a soundstage with headphones, just looking at a movie screen. So I've, nobody's ever noticed that that's a, that's a dubbed scene. And normally as an audience member, I would say nine out of 10 times, I can tell if a scene has been dubbed. You can just tell. Right. For, for some reason, the ambient sound is different or the lips don't quite match, you know. So so I, I think that's interesting that there's a lot of dubbing going on that that that, that was extremely well done. And and the actual stunt doubling work. I mean, I could go through shot by shot and tell you what's me and what's not. But it's pretty easy to tell when you see my head on my body. It's me. <laughs> as soon as I put that helmet on, I become Iron Man. And, and as it should be. So, uh, so that was really uh, eye opening to me is, is how you can, how you can just weave an actor into like this stunt role and have people buy it hook, line and sinker. Yeah. So uh, I, I want to talk about Hell Track because that's kind of the, the big set piece of this movie. Um, did you film that towards the end, I assume, or, or no? That was the last week of filming, I do believe. Yeah. And, and when you go on set and you see Helltrack for the first time, what was that feeling like? Were you just as in awe as the people watching it? 100%. I mean, to stand on that wall and look down, it was just heart stopping. You think it looks big, you know, uh, on the ground. But yeah, uh, the guys, the professionals who were brought on to ride that Helltrack, they weren't going to do it. One left. One got one look at it and he got in his van and went back to the States. So it, <laughs> it took a kid, Beetle Rosecrans, who was 15 at the time, not even. And uh, he set a ladder up beside the uh, drop in and crawled halfway up with his bike and dropped in until he worked his way all the way up. And then the other pro riders who were all older than him go, well, crap, he did it. Now we have to do it. So uh, the week or the days before there was a bad rainstorm and hell track was flooded. So Hal came up with the idea, what would you do? What would you do? Well, what he did was hired a chopper and came down and just hovered <laughs> over the track and cleaned it like a big blow dryer. I mean, the guy that's was, amazing. The guy was brilliant. And, and so, uh, the, the, the track I think was largely conceived and built by him before the riders got there so they had to do some adjustments it wasn't a completely rideable track it just was not a time it was not a tested design and they built it on the fly and uh like for instance those little moguls those little one foot high berms at one point that's what rick moliterno screwed his ankle up on uh, in real life he was they were very it was just not conducive to BMX bikes going over that thing. So there were some things that they just had to find out the day of if they worked or, or not. And of course the things that didn't work out, the crashes like Chris Phoenix going over and the, the kicks bowl that actually happened. He didn't stage that, you know? So a lot of the, the wrecks and crashes were actual wrecks and crashes. He just wove them into the storyline. Did you uh, grab a bike and attempt any of it yourself? 
did I grab a bike? Well, I was trying to just look like I knew what I was doing. I don't think I achieved it ever, but I crashed, you know, off camera a couple of times and racked myself up pretty good. It's a dangerous sport. So I didn't really have time to prepare the way uh, I wished I did because uh, to get good, you have to spend ER time. You have to break some bones. You got to reset some teeth. I just don't know any of these guys who have reached any sort of level of proficiency who didn't end up in the ER. You know, I mean, Matt, Matt Hoffman is famous for uh, stitching himself up on the side of the BMX track because he got tired of going to the ER. So these are the, <laughs> these are the guys that I was trying to portray, but it wasn't. <laughs> so you were perfectly fine with just saying, Hey, I'm an actor. I'm, I'm here to act. This was my training. So I was told never take a job from a stuntman. You know, a lot of actors are like, I want to do my own stunts. And, you know, Tom Cruise has kind of reset the bar for that. But for the most part, yeah, let the stuntmen do their job. That's what they're there for. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, in my mind, it's a it's pretty clear delineation, you know, but I want to I want to help the production. I've been injured while doing a movie before and it is no fun and you just it, it, it's a liability it can grind production to a halt it's not smart if, if if you can help it yeah so let's talk about the future a little bit rad's not going away anytime soon and and you are kind of still deeply ingrained in the fandom you show up to the events you you are a big part of it which is great so with popularity at an all-time high what are your thoughts on a Cobra Kai-esque sequel series or something? I've got ideas. First off, it has to be called Balls Out. But uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? Is that of any interest to you? Yeah, I think it would work. Uh, I mean, this has been the, the question that's asked. It was just such a cliffhanger ending, right? And now, like you said, Cobra Kai has shown us how you can take a story decades later and make it relevant, et cetera, et cetera. So all these things are open to suggestion or discussion rather, and uh, we'll just have to see. I think the, the wave of love and, and interest that this film has created, it's just, it's a tsunami and, and it, it will, it will find its way. I, I just, I don't know how that's going to look or what it's going to be. Uh, I'll, I'll just leave it at that at this point. But as far as the movie itself, like you said, you can't, you can't recreate somebody's youth, nor if you did another iteration from it, you can't steal somebody's youth. You know, it's just, it is what it is. And, 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 and now people are reliving it largely uh, because the eighties craze is now at an all time high and which is great. So it's fun for me. You know, I turned 59 in a month. And, and now I kind of get to look back and go, oh, well, I didn't screw everything up. <laughs> <laughs> Before I let you go, I'm just curious. You know, I'm a super fan. I've, I've met other people who notice my rad tattoo and are like, oh, my God, you like it, too? So I'm curious, what was the most surprising maybe fan interaction you had that, that kind of not maybe at an event, but just something out of nowhere? Oh, uh, wow. Well, this weekend, I mean, uh, I saw three rad tattoos. A couple of guys had some inner arm tattoos, but this lady who had a grown kid there, she had this enormous one on her inner thigh. You know, <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I, I see a lot of ink. One guy had me um, sign my name on his arm so he could go get it 
inked in. Now, this has happened to me before. It's a weird thing, man. But he wanted me to sign Crew Jones. Well, <laughs> I have great penmanship and I haven't practiced signing Crew Jones. So I signed his arm and it looked like a serial killer signed it with his foot. I'm like, please do not ink that in. He's like, F you, man. I'm going straight to the tattoo artist. And he did. He bolted and got it inked in and it looks awful. Awful. But it's an actual signature for me so yeah the 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 amount of ink and and of course uh i, I meet a, a young crew jones about once a month i mean all the time people think this is a good idea and it's a cool name it's a cool name let's face it but yeah there's a lot of a lot of little crew joneses out there that look nothing like me yeah and and you got to think 35 years later some of these people have got to be adults with crew jones names roaming around they do, they have all all of the above but i just think it's funny in 50 years or so uh these guys are going to have to explain to their kids and grandkids <laughs> where they got that ridiculous name it's like a pull up the hologram you know so i think <laughs> i think that ensures that this movie is going to be talked about you know long after i'm gone that's fun that, that's, and, pre- that's pretty great yeah, yeah and i've got a i've got a suggestion after i'm gone i'm thinking about getting a gravestone that's in the shape of a little kick ramp so people can do backflips over my grave after I'm gone. I mean, come on. That, right? that would be incredible. It would be a shrine. I mean, there are people, uh, I don't know if you're, you know, as attached to the fandom as, as I've seen, but there are people that like study frame by frame to see every sticker and every sponsor so that they can perfectly recreate the bikes. It's, I, I don't doubt that you will have long after we're all gone, you'll still have fans. So thanks, man. It's, it's been a good ride and, and, you know, it continues. It does. And then, yeah, for, for years to come, hopefully. Thank you, uh, Bill Allen, for joining me to talk about rad. It's, it's again, no, no BS. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, everybody should go get the fathom event tickets, October 14th, one night in theaters. I will be there. Um, so everybody should as well. Thank you. Cool. Go balls out. <laughs> yeah, falls out. Thank you.